trouble, often the Marines are called in. A casual listening to that video, if you're careful, you would see spiritual implications all over it. I want to tell you this morning that not the Marines, but that God's people are our country's first line of defense. That core values and character matter. That our country today needs not the Marines, but the church to be the church. God's people to be God's people. Still the greatest country on earth. And yet what we even saw in the news yesterday that occurred tells us our country's in deep trouble. What are we going to do about that? We're in the second week of a series that we have called If. If. And it's kind of funny because, have you ever heard the phrase, accidentally on purpose? Well, accidentally on purpose, something has happened. I, I, I say accidentally because I planned five messages that had sort of uh, one key connector, and that was the word if and the word of God. Like, for instance, last week, we should say, if the Lord wills. Today, if my people pray. And then, on purpose... God, it seems, is drawing a connector to these sermons and speaking to our hearts on a very important issue. And that is, what is, what is the church going to do about the world we live in today? Now, last week, we spent some time in James chapter 4 and verse number 17 or 13, I believe it was, 13. And here's what that verse said. Come now, if you remember I said... Hey, y'all. Say, hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. James is saying, hey, y'all. You, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such place or to a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. James says, hey, those of you who this is your life creed, those of you who say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get up. We're going to go to a certain destination. We're going to say a certain length of time. And here's what we're going to do. And the outcome is predictable. That is, we are going to make a profit. I told you last week, and I will reinforce it again today, that that is the creed of the world. That's the creed in America. That's what so many of us hope for our children. We hope for ourselves. We hope for our family that we will go and we'll do and we will make a profit. And the world applauds that. And we as parents applaud that. And we look at our community and say, that person is such a success. And yet there's something missing. And I welcomed you to the world of practical atheism. Because if you look at that verse, there is something hugely important. And that is God. God is nowhere in that verse. And I took you to Psalm chapter 14 and verse number 1. And there we read where the psalmist said, The fool hath said, There is no God. And I told you, if you look in the King James and New King James and other translations, you'll see those words, there is, they are in italics, meaning they're not in the Hebrew. So the psalmist is simply saying this, the fool says in his heart, no God. This verse is really not talking about the person who walks through life saying, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God. Rather, he's talking about the people who say, I believe in God. With my mouth, I verbally proclaim the existence of God, but practically in my life, I live as if he does not exist the world of the practical atheist and and this is an epidemic 
in the church today. And that's what I want to speak to you again about today and tie it in throughout the next several weeks as we conclude our series and go through our series of Called If. I said something Sunday night. And I alluded to it Sunday morning, but it came so much clearer Sunday night. The practical atheist is a person who has area or areas where God is excluded. For instance, if, if you as a believer in God, and today you say, I believe in God, but I exclude him from my finances, in that area, you are a practical atheist. I believe, but I do not allow him in that area of my life. If today you have a marriage and you do not allow God as the center of your marriage in that particular arena, you are a practical atheist. If you're a parent today and yet you do not turn to God for your parenting advice and parenting skills and the the, uh, advice on how to raise your children in that particular area, you are a practical atheist. In the world of business, if you're a businessman today and you do business and you make profit, but in that arena of business, you do not include God in that area You are a practical atheist. My question is this. What area? What area is it in your life right now that if you're to be honest with God, you would say, God's not invited into that room in my house. God is not invited to that arena in my life. Now, please understand, I've got to make this clear to you, because the the common thing to say is, well, Dwayne, I include God in my finances. I, I write a check every week. I never consult him what that check ought to be. And I certainly don't consult his word, but I do include him. And, and you know, a preacher married us, Dwayne, so, so God is in my marriage. And, and Dwayne, I bring my kids to Sunday school, so God is in my parenting skills. And, and you know, I, I do you know, I, I, I do pray in the morning, so God's in my world of business. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about areas that are unsurrendered to God, where God is not allowed to be God in that arena. And God says the person who has areas of his life that God has excluded is living very foolishly. Our scripture today is 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. I'll help you find that. It's right after 1 Chronicles. I'll help you more. It's in the Old Testament. I'll help you a whole lot. If you happen to have a thin line New King James Bible published by Holman, page 384. I need to pause a moment and tell you this. We have used this verse over and over again. You see the red signs around town. You know, if my people pray, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And we have talked over and over again about this verse and have presented it as a promise. But it is not a promise to us. It is a principle for us. This verse was very specifically given to the nation of Israel and in particular to King Solomon when he was dedicating the temple. And Solomon in chapter 6 went to God and said, God, if we do this, will you do this? And if we do this, will you do that? And if we do this, we do that. And these were negative things. If we ignore you, will you forgive us? Um, if, if enemies come, will you help us? If, 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 over and over again. And this was God's response to Solomon. And he said, in verse 13, he says, you know, if, if I do send pestilence, if the locusts do come, if I allow this... If my people pray. 
So I want to make it clear that what we teach today is not a promise from God for his church. But it is one that we can claim every principle there is. It is very applicable to our lives today. In fact, may I be very honest with you, it is critical. Now, I know sometimes the sermons go over a lot better when I jump around, scream and holler. Probably this is going to be more teaching and you'll be very tempted to let your mind wander. I want to encourage you to work very hard today to stay with me in the Word of God because I think this is critical in the year that we live in. I think it's crucial that we address with this scripture, the help of this scripture, areas in our life. Because these are evil days. These are dangerous days that we're living in. And it's a day when God is calling his people to the task of winning this country back to the Lord Jesus Christ. On your sermon sheet, there's an interesting quote from Oswald, Oswald Chambers, who happened to write, My Utmost for His Highest. He's the author. A young man, a, a man who, a young man, who really, who died quite young. He was a teacher, and he wrote a book of devotions. And it's been a mainstay in the Christian society now throughout the decades. Here's what he said. And you need to remember this. It is perilously easy to have amazing sympathy with God's truth and remain in sin. It's perilously easy to be, have amazing sympathy for God's Word and remain in sin. It's amazingly easy to go to Sunday school. It's amazingly easy to listen to the preacher. It's amazingly easy to read the Christian books and still remain in our sin. And I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to look you dead in the eye and tell you this. That my challenge today to you is move beyond the hearing. To move beyond just receiving and applying and allowing God's word to once again be working in our lives. So here's what, Solomon, or here's what God says to Solomon. He says this. If my people who are called by my name. If my people... Who are called by my name. Now, in the context of the scripture, of course, this is the nation of Israel. But in the context of today, it is us. We are the people of God. That's a good place for an amen. We are the people. Now, let that soak in. We are the people of God who are called by his name. We are known, listen, as believers in Jesus Christ. We go by the name God. Perhaps there's a name that you honor in our society, in our culture. If you have that same last name, for instance, so for so long, to carry the name Kennedy was so powerful. And if you didn't have the name Kennedy and were associated with the Kennedy clan, that meant something. Brothers and sisters, listen to me today. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are the children of God. We are called by His name. Well, who are we? Who are we? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We'll put it on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Here's what God's Word says about us. He says, But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. A Holy nation. Let's just pause there. One of the things that David said about God was that he was holy. 
The word holy means to be set apart. And when he said, think on these words about God, and he said holy, I said to myself, Father, you are so far above. God is set apart from sin totally. That's why sin so offends holy God. When we lie, it offends God. When we're unforgiving, it offends God. When we steal, it offends God. When we commit adultery, it offends God. Uh, When we fail in other areas of our lives, according to His Word, it offends God. Because He's holy. And yet God's Word says that we are a holy nation. Not talking about Israel. Talking about the people of God. His own special people. His own special people. And look at our purpose. That we may proclaim the praises of Him. Say, proclaim the praise of Him. Proclaim the praises of Him. We are not left here to just do business on Sunday morning, to sing our songs and take an offering, listen to a message, go home. We are to proclaim the praises of Him. We are here to proclaim the greatness of Almighty God. That's why we're here. And a nation that is so gripped in darkness today, we are to be the light of the world. See, it'd be so easy. Oh, it'd been tempting to get up here and say that, you know, either way you went, that we've got the right president or the wrong president, or we've got the right party or the wrong party, or if this did that or that did that. Folks, let me tell you something. The answer is not a president. The answer is not a party. The answer is Jesus Christ be lived out by His church in this nation, making a difference in this world. That's what matters. It's so easy to get on our political bandwagons and beat the drums. Politics have never been the answer for America. It was not the answer 200 years ago. It was not an answer 100 years ago. It was not an answer yesterday. Jesus Christ is the answer. If my people, my own special people, called to to sing out the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not attained mercy, but now have attained mercy. That's who we are. That's a fact. Because see, believers, listen. You are not what the world says you are. You are not what Satan says you are. You are what God says you are. All we got to do is rise up and believe that and live that out practically in our lives. So can I ask you a question? If in fact we are we are a chosen generation, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, his own special people, what's wrong? In a nation that would largely call itself Christian, what's wrong? At a convention with forty two thousand Baptist churches Influencing communities where they live. What's wrong? Something's not working. Something's not right. What is it? I was talking with Matt Oshel. Matt's going to be speaking for a Sunday night of Baptist Men's Day. And God woke him up in the middle of the night with a message. If you've ever preached before, you know that sometimes happens. 
Monday or Tuesday this week, for me it was 4 o'clock in the morning. And I woke up, and as far as I remember, I must be very careful here. I don't want to misrepresent the truth. I didn't wake up and say, gee, I can't go back to sleep. I wonder what I think about. Oh, I'll think about Sunday's sermon. I don't remember that being the case. But I do remember waking up, and there were five things that were on my brain like that. I got up 20 minutes later out of my bed at 420 and wrote them down. This is, I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to say God said. That would be misrepresenting the truth. But these are things from my heart that were on my mind that morning about 4 o'clock in the morning. Saying, why, why isn't the church being the influencer that it's supposed to be? And the first thing that came to my mind was this. We are conflicted. We are conflicted. The word, and I won't get the definition right. To be conflicted means this. Confused by compelling desires. That's the definition. Confused by compelling desires. We are a group of people who are confused about different desires that we have. That's why it's so easy to be a practical atheist in the world today. Because in the land we live in, the more wealth you have and that's available to your access, the more things you can get, things you can buy, things you can do. And that conflicts with perhaps our desire to be obedient to God in our giving. And we're conflicted about that. We're conflicted in our marriages. We want what makes us happy, and yet that often conflicts with God's desire in His Word. We want our children to be successful, but sometimes that conflicts with what God's Word says according to our children. We want to be successful in business. But often that conflicts with what God says about responsibility. about like being a mom and a dad or a servant of God in this world. We're conflicted. And the answer to being conflicted is to clear it up. See, when you all of a sudden, you know, I, I wear a contact in this eye. If I do this, you're as clear as a bell. If I do this... I cannot see one person's face. You know what? The answer is to be sure to look through the right eye. If I want to look far off, that's this. This is great for reading. This is what I need to see far off. If we're going to see far off, we've got to clear our vision and say, God, you're the boss. Say, God, you're the boss. I am your child and you're my father. He is my dad. And when my dad speaks, I'm supposed to obey. We're conflicted. The second word that came, the second word that came is the word contaminated. Contaminated. Something is contaminated when what is pure has something that is unpure. And for some reason in America, we have simply allowed so much sin to exist in the house of God. Yes, listen, I know we're human. I know we're imperfect. But our desire and passion ought to be holy as he is holy according to the word of God. But we excuse our sin. Now, we're pretty good people. Would y'all say, we're pretty good people? But anyone here, where is Dwight? Yeah, Dwight already had to leave. Well, I'll just, was Becca here? Is she in the back? Anyone here had surgery recently? Raise your hand if you had surgery recently. Mary, you had surgery? You had it in March? Can I ask you a question? 
When you went into the operating room, room, they were going to cut your knee. Was it your knee? What was it, your elbow? Okay, gotcha. When When they did that surgery, did you want the operating room to be really clean or just mostly clean? How many of y'all would go to a doctor in a hospital? How many of y'all would go see Dr. Maida if you saw him carrying out a bag of garbage, filthy garbage, then watch him come right in your room and say, now let me examine you. I like Dr. Maida a lot. But all of a sudden I say, Doc, I think you need to go wash your hands. Because you see, in certain arenas, it's not good enough to be mostly clean. You've got to be pure. And God has called His people to be a pure people. We are to love the things of God and hate the things He hates. We need to hate sin. It's time to clean up. It's time to say, God, this is sin in my life. I'm not going to make an excuse over it. I'm not going to try to rationalize it. God, this is sin. You know it's sin. It's time I confess to you that I know it's sin. We need to, to clean up. The third thing that came to my brain early that day was the term conflict. Not conflicted, conflict. It's really cool. Conflict has two major definitions. A disagreement or difference over an issue and two opposing forces at war. I have no problem with there being differences in the church. Some of y'all like King James. Some of y'all like NIV. Some of y'all like Love Lifted Me. Some of y'all like some of the courses. Some of y'all like a longer sermon. Some of y'all like a short. You know what? That's just not a problem with me. That's called diversity, and diversity is not a bad thing. Amen? But what I have a problem with, and who cares what I think, what God has a problem with is when there's war in the church. When we take it from the level of a disagreement and declare war on our brothers and do anything we can to undermine and hurt them. God has a problem with that. We are known, when I say we, do you understand I'm talking about the church, not Dorsville? The church in America is known for its conflict, not its passion. It's conflict and not its love. It's conflict and not its Savior. And what do you do with conflict? You make up. They say making up is hard to do. But it's always been the best part of a fight to me. When me and Mama fight at home, that making up would be awful good. Come on, amen? Conflict. Conflict. The fourth thing that came to my brain that day was concrete. Concrete. The inability to move or change. Now, folks, we can, we can always do church like we did 25 years ago or 50 years ago. But I'm going to really be candid with you. It's not the 1950s. I thank God that Dorisville is a church that largely is willing to change. I'm not necessarily most in, in favor of change for change's sake. But sometimes we need to be willing to change. Not the message. But sometimes the method. And for some of us, we need to get our spiritual jackhammers out and break up. Break up. And the last thing was this. The last C that came my word that morning was comatose. Asleep to the call. A world lost and going 
steadfastly to hell. And we're asleep to the call. Listen to what Paul said in the book of Romans. And do this, knowing the time that it is high time to awaken out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry. Not in drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Say no provision. No provision for the flesh. And to fulfill its lust. It's time to wake up. Wake up. What are we going to do? How do we do that, Dwayne? <laughs> My wife, she, she sometimes, I give her kind of an overview of what, you know, the message might be. I say, now, Dwayne, we don't want to leave just feeling beat up. I'm not that kind of preacher. I am a preacher who will tell you the truth. I'm not a beat-em-up preacher. But in this particular case, God gives us a specific answer to this problem. If my people who are called by my name, if, if my people who are conflicted, if my people who are in conflict, if my people who are contaminated, if my people who are comatose, if by people who are setting concrete. And then he says this. Will humble themselves. Humble themselves. Jim said in Sunday school class this morning, Brother Dwayne, you're being awful quiet. And I said, this is a part of my sermon. Don't want to talk. Because whenever I open my mouth and it's part of my sermon, you all get part one and part two if you're in Sunday school class. If you're, if you're one of the persons that take notes, here's what this word means in the Hebrew. It means to bend the knee. To bend the knee. To bow in subject to. It involves the concept of surrender. It's, it's God in His Word saying this. If you are willing to bow the knee to me, if you are willing to subject yourself to me, I will do something. If you're willing to humble yourself down, I'm willing to do something. Subject. Surrender. Dwayne, what do you have in mind when you say we should surrender? Whatever area it is in your life, where God is excluded, that's the area I'm talking about. If it happens to be your marriage, it's your marriage. If it happens to be your finances, it's your finances. If it has to be your moral character, it's your moral character. If it happens to be your integrity, it's your integrity. If you're talking about your parenting, it's your parenting. If you're willing to bow the knee, if you're willing to surrender, God says He will do something on your behalf. But it also carries this idea. Dependence. It's not only, it's not only just saying this, God, I give you, listen carefully, it's God, I need you. I need you. 
over the past month, month and a half, we have seen so many crazy things in our church. We've seen people having heart attacks who normally don't have heart attacks. They're healthy. We've seen surgeries go astray. We've seen visits to the emergency room. We've seen unexpected deaths. And every one of those instances, we rightfully called out and said, God, we need you. But what about the times in between? What about when it's Monday morning and you're healthy and your wife is healthy and your kids are healthy and you've got a job and you've got food and the bills are paid and you're going to watch the championship game tomorrow night? Don't you still need God then? See, God doesn't want to be your special needs God. Recalling an older message, God doesn't want to just be your cleanup on aisle three. God don't want to be your janitor when you make a mess. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your God when the sun is shining bright in your life. And He wants to be your God when the thunderstorms are coming down. He wants to be your God when it's light. And He wants to be your God when it's dark. He wants to be your God when He fails or when you fail. And He wants to be your God when it goes right. That's what He wants. That's what He wants. God, I give you these areas. God, I need you in all areas. And I happen to know this. I always like to throw myself in the pot so it makes you feel a little bit better. That's just not always the case in my life. And quite frankly, from my observance, it's not always the case in your life. And if we keep sowing the same seed, we're going to get the same Results. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I didn't realize until I did a little word study that those two words go together. If they'll pray, it means to intercede in the Hebrew. It means to intercede, to make supplication. If you're a note taker, would you write this down? We are so good at praying about and not praying for. We are so good at praying about and not praying for. Oh, we're so good about telling God how bad our husband is. We're so good at telling God about how bad our wife is. We're, we're so good at telling God how bad our children are or how bad the pastors are or how bad this is in our life or how bad that is. We're good for telling God about. What about praying for? What about praying for that husband and lifting him for the throne of grace that God will do a mighty work in his life? What about praying for that wife that God will do a mighty work? What about praying for that rebellious child that God will do a mighty work in their life? Here's an idea. What about praying for those pastors when we mess up? And we'll have better wisdom and better insight. And my people... Pray, intercede, make supplication, and seek my face. It's so, it's so great. That means, here, let me get the direct definition. I want to give you my definition. I want to get it right here. Listen to this. This is what it means from the Bible. It means to, to see my face means to strive after, to beg, to beseech. See, it's just two words of the same, it's two feathers of the same bird. 
to, to intercede, make supplication, to beg God. Not, not, oh, please, Daddy. But God is weighing my heart down. My marriage is in trouble. My kids are in trouble. My country's in trouble. It's brokenness before God. I said, God, we've got to do something. That's probably different than we pray, isn't it? When's the last time you would say to yourself, I am truly broken over something and just agonize with God? I think for me, probably it was my children. All three to some degree. Sarah being one. God, I just realized that if you don't do something, it's not going to happen. It's a, it's a brokenness. A brokenness. I thought about Peter. Jesus said, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. Turned a bunch of Baptists off. They walked away and left him. They turned, he turned to Peter and the boys and said, So, will you leave me too? And Peter said, Lord, where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we just happen to believe that you're the Son of God, the Messiah. God, I'm so dependent. I'm so broken. I seek you so much. I'm so fiercely need on you. I have no other place to go. Think about Moses last week. If you don't go, I'm not going. God, on this career move, if you're not going, I'm not going. God, this parenting thing, if you're not going, I'm not going. On my career, God, if you're not going, I'm not going. In my marriage, God, I'm not going unless you're going. Come on now, talk to me just a little bit. Amen? Humble myself. Seek and pray. And then here's the, here's the crucial one. And turn from their wicked ways. This is the pivot point. It literally means this. Listen now. Turn back. From the Hebrew, the word literally means to turn back. The answer this message, have you figured out yet? The message isn't about America. It's about us. It's about our church. It's about our community. It's about our state. And yes, ultimately, it is about America. And the answer, if my people who right now are conflicted, if my people who are contaminated, if my people who are conflicted, if my people who are set so set in concrete they can't change, if my people who are comatose will wake up and humble themselves. God, I give to you every area of my life. God, I need you in every area of my life. God, we pray, we intercede we supplicate. God, we beg. We beseech. You know what's crazy? It's easier to do than it is to pray. It's easier for us to try to fix our marriage or fix the situation than it is to pray. It's easier to take matters in our own hands in this country than pray. Now, there's a time to take matters in your hand. But only after you agonized in and over prayer. And prayed about it. What happens after that? Well, let, let, me, let me take us back to Revelation first before we leave this. 
Here's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. That's the pivot point. Sorry enough to turn. Sorry enough to turn. But God says this. Listen now. Then. If you will do that, then. He says, I will hear their prayers. I will hear from heaven. Now here's a fact. God won't hear a broken prayer. But he hears the prayer of the broken. What do you mean, Dwayne? That's the sermon title, in case you didn't miss that. God won't hear broken prayer. Remember the guy in the temple? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. They don't even go to church. And they don't tithe. They don't do any of that stuff. I'm glad I'm not like that fellow over there. That's broken prayer. It's prayer that is self-centered. It's prayer that is self-serving. It's prayer that is filled with pride and not humility. God will not hear broken prayer. But he hears the prayer of the broken. God, the other fella, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he's beating his chest. God, be merciful to me. You know what Jesus said? That guy, the sinner, went home justified. Not the guy who said, look how good I am, God. He hears the prayer of the broken, but ignores the broken prayer. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. When we come to God broken over our sin, He'll forgive us. Can you say amen to that? When we come to God broken over our sin, he, now, now, if we don't, He won't. I won't tell you. If you walk in there that prayer room and say, Well, God, I did it again. Whoops, I'm sorry. Listen to your pastor. You're dreaming. You're reading something. You may be reading Reader's Digest, but you're not reading the Word of God. You may be listening to some preacher, but you ain't listening to a preacher who preaches the Word of God. God honors true repentance, a brokenness over sin. And man, when we come with that brokenness of our sin, a brokenness that says, not again. Not again. God hears that prayer. God hears that prayer. And then he says this. I will heal their land. Maybe yes. Maybe no. Because you see, that's a promise made to Solomon and Israel, but not to us. My marquee said, can God heal America? Let's talk Sunday morning. Let's talk about it. Can God heal America? Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Will God heal America? I don't know. I'm going to tell you why. You want to know why? We might be in judgment. God's Word clearly teaches that there comes a time when God says enough. Romans chapter 1. Enough. 
He doesn't turn his back on America. God will still forgive. God still loves people in America. He's not willing that any should repent, that all should come uh, to repentance and forgiveness. But Willie, as a nation, you need to understand something. God doesn't have a covenant with America. He's got one with Israel, but he didn't have a covenant with America. He does have a covenant with his people. And he will honor that covenant with his people, but not the nation. Can we be honest today? America has turned her back on God. Not everybody. I'm talking about the nation. The leadership. Both in community, at the state level, at the national level. We have turned our back on God. And we may well be in a state of judgment. So what do we do, Dwayne? We pray like we've never prayed before. And we surrender like we've never surrendered before. And we rise up and once again be this country's first line of defense. We rise up once again and be the people that God has called us to be. A light shining in the darkness. That's what we do. See, we build magnificent towers. This happens to represent probably your life. People look at your success and go, what a mighty tower he has built. You're successful. People look to you. have titles. You have houses and cars. You built a mighty tower. This could be a church. You, we run large numbers. We have large offerings. We have good entertainment. This could be our country. 200 and some odd years. We have in God we trust on our money. In 1950s they inserted one nation under God in our pledge. We have churches on every corner. We try to right what is wrong. We go fight battles that are not ours. We have built a mighty tower. But unless we're willing to surrender, unless we're willing to turn, we keep moving. And we keep moving. And we keep moving. Our homes get closer to the edge. Our marriages are closer to the edge. Our children are closer to the edge. The loss of our churches are closer to the edge. We're a country that's trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And we're getting closer to the edge. Rulers of darkness had their way in our church, in our nation, in our communities. And we're close. To the edge. There's only one answer for that. And it's God. And there's only one answer for that in your life. And the life of churches in our nation. And it's surrender. It's not God in name only. It is God lived out. Not in some areas. But as God gives us ability and his power and his knowledge in every area of our lives.
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, God says. And I will heal their land. See, we can't claim that as a nation because we have no covenant. But God can heal lives. And God can heal marriages. God can heal families that surrender and belong to Jesus. Would you bow your heads where you are? I cannot tell you how crucial this message is to you and to me. I have a granddaughter who's 10 years old. The window for influencing her and molding her life is rapidly closing. We live in a community where the window of influence and change might be rapidly closing. We are in a country where the window for influence and change on a mass degree might be, might be closing. I could bring Brent Holloway up here right now and he'd tell you about Canada. A nation that is largely atheistic now because they turned their back on God. Judy and I can testify to you about Europe. All the great cathedrals that now sit largely empty because they turned their back on God. Each one of us know family names. Family that used to be strong who are now destroyed, divorced, split because they turned their back on God. These are crucial times. Dwayne, what do we need to do? My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will bring healing. This morning the altar is open. I know, I I told him Wednesday night, I know how hard it is. I'm not wanting an altar full. I've done what God told me to do. I don't care. You can make your altar there. But folks, it's time to do business. These are perilous times. The clock is ticking down clock for your children, for your homes, for our country. Now's the time for the people of God to be the people of God. We're going to have David sing a verse or two in just a moment after I pray. I'm going to have you stand and bow your heads, no one looking around. Please, no one leaving unless you absolutely have to. If you feel compelled to come to the altar and pray, we welcome that. But I urge you as your pastor to do business with God where you are. Where you are. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you and I thank you for your word today. Father, it did cut like a knife. I know it did. Father, we're in danger. We're in trouble. We desperately need you. Father, our families are in trouble. Father, our lives are in trouble. Father, our country's in trouble. And God, this world's in trouble. And I can't explain why you chose us to be the plan A, but we are.
But we cannot be the plan A you want us to be until we deal with the issues of unsurrender in our life. The areas, Father, where we've walled you off and said, not here. Holy Spirit, you are the only one who can bring conviction. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ, the sovereign Son of God, to break our hearts, to open our eyes, to let us see, and to seek the God of the universe in his face. Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.